Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guest. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He's a retired state trooper. The traumas and violence he experienced in his law enforcement career led to his retirement and is the basis for his novel, Call Me Trooper. He's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from Tennessee, one of my favorite states. On the phone, C.K. Roberts. C.K., thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you on the Law Enforcement Today show. Before we go into details, C.K., it's not his real name. He is retired Michigan State Trooper. Uh, he wrote a book. We'll tell you about the book. And in the book, he used a pseudonym or pen name. And we're going to stick with that for, for reasons you'll understand in the conversation. And for a lot, of, a lot of law enforcement people, it's a whole lot easier to have conversations if we don't have real names involved. So it's not unusual. It's not uncommon. And it's certainly not unexpected. But I appreciate you coming on and tell your story. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. So you were on the Michigan State Police for how many years? Uh, I was employed as a Michigan State Trooper for just under 13 years. And you're retired? Yes, sir, medically retired. And we'll get into reasons why uh, in a little bit later in our conversation. But since you retired, you did what a lot of police do. There seems to be two things that a lot of us want to do. One is like open up an Irish tavern or something of that nature. And I went through that where I, I daydreamed about that. And I still do periodically. And then I go, what are you, nuts? Uh, I mean, the worst thing in the world for me. The, and the other one is, I think I should write a book because I got all these great experiences that, that people need to hear about. But sure. and, and we've had quite a few authors on, but not all do well. And some are better than others. But there's a lot of great stories. So I'm sure yours is the same. What is the name of your book? Uh, the name of the book is Call Me Trooper, to subtitle The Chronicles of a Michigan State Police Officer. Uh, and the book is doing 
fairly well on Amazon.com right now. If you were to search the state police books category or the police biography category, you'd find it right up there at the top. Best place to get it is on Amazon then, right? Yes, sir. Amazon is the way to go. You can get the ebook or uh, the paperback. I know a lot of guys like to have a, a book in their hands, but whatever your preference is. I, I don't read as much as I used to, probably because I don't have that much time anymore. And I'm thinking, because I believe you sent me like an, an e-version of it, which I haven't had a chance to, to check out yet, and, and it comes down to time. But I would love to find out more. Basically, what is your book about? I mean, the title kind of gives it away. Sure, yeah. The book is a biographical account of my career as a Michigan State Trooper. It includes uh, reports of incidents which I responded to during the course of my career. Um, and uh, anybody who's familiar with law enforcement would know that there's a massive variety of incidents. Oh, yeah. Um, so I've, I've tried to break them down into categories. But the book doesn't only include stories of incidents. It also includes some insights after having been retired now for about five years. It includes insights in regards to trauma that police officers go through during the course of their career. It also um, includes a chapter entitled America Without Police Officers. Uh, I've just been really moved by, you know, the current media situation where it seems that uh, law enforcement is really looked down upon in, in kind of a negative light and wanted to draw some attention to that. I appreciate you doing it. And before we get too far along, I want to thank you for your service. Uh, I was never a state trooper. I was a city police in Baltimore. We had uh, a, a running rivalry with the Maryland State Police. Yeah, they, we called them names. They called us names. But sure. there, there was never any real animosity. And when push came to shove, if and I've done it before, and I'll do it again, I'm sure. If I was driving down the highway and I saw a state trooper that needed help, I'm the first one out, and I'm ready to go. And they've done the same for me as well. So even though we have that sibling rivalry, almost like the fire department, the police department, even though we right. have that, there's a lot of mutual respect and admiration. And I'd say at this point in my life, a lot more of an understanding about what their job entails, which I really didn't know before. Right. Yeah, I, I thank you, Jay, also for your service. I know some of what you went through. And uh, one of the aspects of the Michigan State Police that a lot of people don't know is that troopers in Michigan uh, do their own criminal investigations. So not only were we uh, writing speeding tickets and searching cars and arresting people on the highway, we were taking uh, breaking and entering reports, assault reports, rape reports, all sorts of criminal investigations and uh if i responded to that particular incident you know dispatch call of a break and entering that was my case until it was solved gotcha uh, there was no no one to hand it over to and i guess it's similar to a, a lot of other states and yes. this is where part of the confusion coming from a, a very busy city police environment we handled everything that was called on your post we thought that, and mistakenly, that state troopers, all they did was traffic. There a lot of different states where there's uh, areas where there aren't big police departments or aren't big sheriff's departments, these state police barracks become full-service barracks, and those troopers handle everything from parking to traffic accidents, traffic enforcement, to, like you said, violent criminal investigations, rapes, you name it. They do it all. Absolutely. 
The other thing that I never quite understood or grasped is that this is a conversation I've had with many officers uh, from rural areas or state police environments when they're on a highway. If I got into trouble, if I called for help being in uh, Baltimore City, backup was less than a minute away. And if he called for what we call a signal 13 back in the day, there would be literally 30 police there within two, three minutes. Sure. With the state troopers, you're on the highway and things turn south. You are on your own and backup could be 15, 20, 30 miles away. It could be. I was fortunate enough to work in uh, several different post areas, most of which uh, backup was really close. You know, there were a couple rural areas of the counties where we could get into where backup would take, you know, could take five to ten minutes. But for the most part, it was uh, it was fairly close. And like you said, you know, you call for help if you need it. Officers are coming from everywhere. They don't, you know, they don't care what color uniform you're wearing. Absolutely. Um, and nor should they. And we, did, we right. didn't care what was going on. We'd go through hell or high water to get them, them and save Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yep. Because we knew their life was on the line. And that will go into part of what we're t- going to talk about a little bit later on in regards to mental health issues, post-traumatic stress, that we don't tend to take the same attitude with helping each other as we do when it's a physical threat. And I promise you, we will get into that. Before we go to break, I do want to say one more time, the name of your book and where people get more information. Yes, sir. The book is called Call Me Trooper, The Chronicles of a Michigan State Police Officer. And you can find it on Amazon.com. And again, it's available in the Kindle edition as an ebook and also in paperback. For those of you who can't remember all that, like me, an old geezer like myself, I just did a Google search for Call Me Trooper. And it yes, came sir. right up. It was very, very easy to find. Written by C. K. Roberts. We're turning our conversation with CK in just a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today's show is brought to you in part by Operational Police Detective Services, the top firm in Maryland for security, armed police, canine services, and armed helicopter escort. They also offer complete, thorough, and in-depth protection and security surveys. OPPS personnel are highly trained local, state, and federal off-duty police officers. Based out of Baltimore, Maryland, they can accommodate assignments throughout the East Coast. For more information, call 443-790-2511 or visit OPPSprotection.com. That's OPPSprotection.com. 
If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. Returning to our conversation with C.K. Roberts, retired Michigan State Trooper, calling us from Tennessee. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Uh, C.K., we'll talk more about your book in a few moments. One of the things that you've made very, very clear is that you did 13 years uh, in the Michigan State Police and you retired on what we call line of duty injury or disability or medical retirement line of duty for post-traumatic stress disorder. Many states don't offer that. And I did not know that Michigan was one of those that did. And my hat's off to them for that because so many are not doing it. Right. Yeah. Michigan State Police are blessed to have a really strong union to take care of their guys when, you know, when things happen. So I was really fortunate in that regard. In fact, I believe there's been an article in the news recently about uh, Ohio. Yeah. uh, Ohio stripped the PTSD for first responders out of uh, legislation. Yeah, that's unbelievable because this is not, um, (laughs) this is not something minor. This is considered a uh, debilitating condition. And in many cases it is. Yeah just like it is with my case. And I can give you some more details on that. Well, one of the things that my personal opinion for many reasons is I don't like the term post-traumatic stress disorder. And I know that medically that's how it's classified. And I think part of the problem with the stigma about this condition is that we start to view it as an injury. And I'll I'll paraphrase very quickly. Uh, I've had multiple surgeries on my right hand as a result of line of duty injury, steel plates and screws and everything else. And I'd never have thought to myself that my hand should be the way it was before the injury occurred. I've been able to do a lot of things. I can do a lot of things. There's a few things I can't do as a result of all these surgeries and injury. But I never expected it to be like it was when I was 12 or 13. Right. Before the injury. And I think that's how we need to start viewing post-traumatic stress, that it can be debilitating at times. It can be debilitating for a lot of people, but I don't like the classification as a mental disorder. I think if we start talking about it between those who, who deal with it, those who get exposed to it potentially as an injury and how to deal with it as such, we'll get further along and, and better our lives. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It, it's absolutely an injury. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book uh, entitled The Body Keeps Score. Uh, it's by Vander Kolk. He is a psychiatrist that has studied this condition, post-traumatic stress, and its impact on the physiological, the different physiological aspects of our body. He has a a great quote in there, which I put in the book, in this, the chapter on trauma. But basically, he explains that this is a condition that doesn't have its root in our mind. This is rooted literally in the body's physical response to traumatic incidents. Oh, the adrenal glands and adrenaline, all that stuff, fight or flight syndrome, all that stuff gets fired up. Yep. And it's, uh, without getting very personal, it, it's, 
becoming aware, learning your triggers, learning how to manage your condition, your injury better is all helpful. Uh, but when things come up that trigger that fight or flight, that massive adrenaline dump, there is nothing you can do with willpower or anything else that's going to make it stop or slow down. You got to let it run its course. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, I was going to bring this up. I live on 50 acres in the middle of Nowheresville, Tennessee. Well, that was At- right. My other dream besides the Irish Tavern was having a cabin at the top of a mountain with barbed wire all around it. <laughs> and, and, right. and, and and video surveillance cameras and close enough to town where I could be social and leave where I didn't want to be. <laughs> right. So here I am in the middle of nowhere. Literally on my property right now, nobody can see me in my front yard. We have trees all around. They're all, you know, the leaves are full on the trees and nobody can see me as I go in my front yard. But I go out there to water our garden, our little simple tomato and cucumber garden. And I have this physiological response in my front yard when nobody can see me. It's, it's not rational. It is my body reacting because it has been exposed to too much stress for too long. And yeah, I'd be too much, to too much violence. I, I, I've yeah. had a guest on a show a long time ago came up with what I thought was a perfect analogy. He said, when you would go into law enforcement or firefighters, EMT, first responders, corrections officers, Whatever it is, you're, you're issued a top-of-the-line, brand-new backpack, all right? And then every call you go to, every traumatic, violent incident, you pick up a stone, a pebble, a rock, and you throw it in the backpack, all varying sizes. Eventually, comes a point where that last pebble, and it could be a small one or it could be a boulder, is going to take into that pile on the backpack and just destroy it and destroy you. Yeah, what a great illustration, and that's what happens. It, it, it's not always one specific incident as it is a, a accumulation. And one of the things, we talked about Ohio just not that long ago. When I started in police work in 1980, I was taught by Vietnam veterans. And, and we also had a few commanders who were Korean War veterans. And I remember being a teenager when uh, they were coming home. And we started having a conversation nationally about post-traumatic stress. And it was called shell shock. It was called many things. But no one in their right mind blinks an eye when any military man or woman gets deployed overseas to a combat zone, experiences combat, and comes back and has some issues with post-traumatic stress. No one blinks an eye, nor should we. Right. And the VA, the federal government, does their best. They, they could do better. But they're doing something about it. And yet with law enforcement, it's as if it doesn't exist. Absolutely. Yeah. Law enforcement is way behind the ball on this issue. And it says in 1960. Yeah. So still behind the ball. Yeah, and I, I have to think that a lot of this has to do with economics, finances, uh, state governments, county governments, city governments. It's not always the agencies, but sure. they really, when you get hurt on the job as a police officer, the department will do the best to try to take care of you. A lot of them will. Once the decision is made that you need to retire, then it's out of their hands. It's the hands of the, the bean counters, the accountants and the lawyers that represent the city, county, or state. And it's a totally different situation. It's very adversarial. Very much so. And uh, in those kind of circumstances, they look at you, you know, and you're, in my case, my hands and my feet work just fine. You know, I can talk and have a coherent conversation, but they can't 
obviously see this injury. You know, they, they talk about some wounds are invisible, and this is uh, definitely in that category. And it's it's so easy to be concerned about as so-and-so faking. Yeah, absolutely. They're trying to get a free ride. They're trying to get uh, a payday. Sure. Well, let's look at that real quick. I don't know about your pension, but in ours, when you get retired, where I came from, you go from 100% of your pay to 66 and two-thirds of your pay. And then your health insurance triples, and it becomes a 30-year pension. So you've got to work. You've got to find other ways to make income because you can't afford to live based off of that. There's no free ride. It's not like you're getting a winning lottery ticket. Yeah. And yet that's the attitude some of these administrators seem to have. Right. I I see, I've seen this happen in different agencies. I know officers in different agencies. And, you know, I see how their departments have responded to the same exact situation versus how my department has responded. And uh, I do consider myself very fortunate in that they were at some level aware and and considered this an on-duty injury, which it absolutely is. And if you read the book, it's crystal clear. I highlight numerous traumatic incidents. And it's crystal clear why somebody would walk away after that, having been drastically impacted. One of the things that I'd like to point out is that it's a national trend. Uh, Not always do we have first responders being taken care of when it comes to post-traumatic stress disorder. We have many we have many that are thrown away who are physically injured, obviously, in the line of duty. I mean, we're talking about people who were shot in accidents during training, mandated training. We're talking about officers who were uh, in vicious car accidents that needed multiple surgeries that were discarded and not taken care of, where their families lost everything. I, I could tell you a guest we had on a show that was shot five times by a serial rapist barely survived and lost their home, lost everything they had and had to eat cornbread, beans, and rice because they're living off $1,400 a month. That's the reality of what happens across a lot of portions of the United States. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're talking with C.K. Roberts, a retired Michigan State trooper and also author of the book, Call Me Trooper. We'll be right back. For the most professional, complete security and protection services that uses only the most highly trained off-duty police, contact Operational Police Protective Services. Every business, school, and location where groups of people gather can also benefit from a complete, thorough, and in-depth protection and security survey. Contact Operational Police Protective Services. They can accommodate assignments throughout the East Coast. For more information, call 443-790-2511 or visit OPPSProtection.com. That's OPPSProtection.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. 
Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to our conversation with C.K. Roberts, retired Michigan State Trooper, also author of the book, Call Me Trooper. I'm so glad you're here. Recap for those just tuning in. Retired Michigan State Police, 13 years on the job. Retired due to what different agents call line of duty injury, uh, medical disability for a post-traumatic stress disorder. And we're going to talk about some of the incidents that may have contributed to that, especially the ones that are outlined in your book. Is, is there one time in your career we can say, prior to this date, prior to this call, prior to this incident, uh, I was a different guy? Man, I, I can say that about so many calls, and I imagine you can relate, you know, like the the illustration with the the backpack. These These incidents change you. But there's several incidents that had that impact on me. I'll I'll tell you one of them. It was an afternoon shift on a bright sunny day in Michigan. And at the time, uh, the post I worked at was a stone's throw from a three-lane, 70-mile-per-hour freeway. So I hopped in my car right away, headed out to the freeway, thinking I might write some speeder tickets. And uh, the, the freeway is packed, so much so that there's no way I was going to write any, any radar tickets. So it didn't take me long to realize that, and I hopped right back off the freeway, freeway when uh, the emergency tones went off on the police radio. The dispatcher put out a priority call of a semi-truck that had crossed the median and crossed all three lanes of opposing traffic. And it was literally a mile from me. I swung back around onto the entrance ramp and uh, blasted my way there. Was there within just, you know, a minute tops. First on the, on the scene, traffic had stopped by that point due to the carnage. The semi truck had made it all the way completely off of the freeway and into the ditch. I step out of my car and I see this little girl. And it took me a second. And it's one of the images I'll never forget. Um, you know, sometimes we have to check a pulse to determine if somebody's dead or. Yeah. And I, I never, I never felt comfortable with that because I always second guess myself. Like, am I, am I right? Am I missing it? I mean, it, and sure. I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. It's, you, you revert to your training right away and you're like, I, I'm a messing up. Is this person really dead? I'm not feeling a pulse. This right. can't be right. They're too young. Yeah. Well, in this case, it, it literally took me a second, Jay, to look at her, and there was no need to check her pulse. Sometimes you know. Yeah, yeah she was devastated. Yeah, you don't, have, you don't have to describe it, believe me. No, no, it, and it'll I, break I won't me up go too. further. Yeah, um, and, and there are cases like that where you just know immediately. Uh, yeah. And, and we're not talking about badly decomposed bodies or all that stuff. We're talking about just occurred. I mean, Absolutely. literally. Yeah. And there are many where I was there and they took their last breath while you're there. Yeah. And yep. that is a, a particularly too. scarring incident, even if you don't know the person. Absolutely. Yep. I'll let you yeah. go back to what you're saying. I'm, I'm getting worked up. No, no, I am too. Um, so, one of the, somebody put an emergency blanket over the, over the, the girl's body and uh, I presume it was one of the truck drivers on scene. I know they carry a lot of emergency equipment, and whoever did it was kind and thoughtful because uh, the parents didn't have to discover her in that condition. 
but I wasn't out of my car for just minutes, and I hear people screaming in the freeway. Where's my little girl? Just screaming. And uh, I remember later during a, a critical incident debrief where the dispatchers were even came and had a meeting with us in the docks, and the dispatcher says, I remember hearing the parents scream over over my radio traffic um, as I'm calling out to dispatch, you know, I... I said, send everyone. And I think that's the only time in my career I ever said that. And here I see mom and dad walking in the middle of the freeway, scanning, looking, where is she at? And um, and I saw the carnage in the van, and you can probably relate to this, but some accident scenes, you're like, man, how did this happen? What What happened? This was one of the accident scenes where it was like crystal clear, I knew exactly what happened simply by looking at the scene. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them I, were very self-explanatory. Yeah. This was one of those. And I didn't have to do much questioning. And I knew, you know, there was another car involved, but I knew that little girl belonged to them. And I, I uh, by that time, other troopers had arrived on scene, you know, medics and fire department. And I looked at, at my buddy and the blue uniform and you know sometimes you communicate without words and I, we knew somebody had to tell these parents that their little girl was gone right and that's really and, one of the worst one of the absolute worst jobs in law enforcement oh my gosh it was brutal I knelt in the middle of a three lane freeway which was closed due to the crash and I held mom's hand and she's got her other hand over her mouth and I told her your little girl is dead she's gone and uh, the father was just a few feet back, and they were both in obvious shock. But they had to know. And um, shortly after that, I, I ended up having to take the semi-truck driver to the hospital to get uh, blood work done for him. And uh, as I'm walking out of the ER, I see the family in a room, and they've got some other friends and family members with them. And I have to go provide somebody in the room with the, an accident report number and a business card. And uh, you walk in the room and the pain is just tangible. And I wanted to say, I'm sorry, I wanted to say, I, I don't know what to say, you know? Oh, yeah, uh, and, absolutely. That's, a, that's, a best, that's the best description. I don't care how long I was on the job. I had no idea what to say. And you just say it. That's all you can do. Right. And you know it's going to be horrible. And you know, oh, yeah. you, you yeah. know you're giving the person the absolute worst news they've ever gotten in their entire life. Right. Yeah, I had already done that, you know, out on the scene. And inside, I wanted to say something in the hospital, but I couldn't. I handed the business card to somebody, and I was all choked up, and I had to walk out. And uh, I knew that if I said anything, it would have only made matters worse. And that I wouldn't have been helping anybody, and I'm sure them seeing a trooper crying wouldn't have wouldn't have been helpful. So people I didn't was, see me cry in my uniform. It doesn't mean I didn't. Right. I did it quite often in the patrol car. Yeah, it's the same with me. I was choked up there, but I I got out because I didn't want anybody to see me cry. Um, I'll take and, that back. I think the only times anyone ever saw me shed any tears in uniform was at police funerals. Mm. You've been there too, and that was, in, in all honesty, it was yeah. The, he was a, a good friend. 
Uh, he was someone I knew. He was someone I worked with, or there was a connection between a, a case that we worked together. But for a lot of reasons, it, they were extremely emotional, but they also, again, was like that backpack full of stones. It was not just that one single line of duty death that I was mourning. It was all the other ones before that. And it was all the other horrible things that he'd seen, all the dead kids, all the murdered people, all that stuff was right below the surface all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I had one or the other. They say that incidents involving kids are the hardest to handle, and I I found that to be true. I I agree with you 100%. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We'll talk more with C.K. Roberts. Uh, C.K., by the way, is a retired Michigan State Trooper, 13 years on the job. Uh, Retired due to line-of-duty injuries, Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder being part of that equation Uh, he's also an author we'll talk about about his experience and his book coming up in just a few this is law enforcement show we'll be right back this portion of the law enforcement radio show is brought to you in part by pet rescue life facebook page everyone's welcome at the pet rescue life facebook page where you'll find fun informative and enjoyable posts daily purebred mixed breeds rescues we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by C.K. Roberts. Calling us from Tennessee, he is a retired Michigan state trooper. And I got to tell you, C.K., before we get into the conversation again, every time I say Michigan state trooper, I think of those commercials, Pure Michigan. They've done such a good job of branding Michigan in my brain with those commercials that it's happening as we speak. Yeah, they have done a nice job. With I can hear the guy's voice in my <laughs> head. So, I mean, those are pleasant things. And we're not talking about pleasant things in this episode of Law Enforcement Today's show. Uh, I read at recent reports that an estimated 30% of our first responders, when I say first responders, I'm talking about law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, dispatchers, corrections officers, are all walking around with some degree of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, some really have bad, bad problems with it. Others just slightly dinged up. I'm of the personal belief that if you do a career in law enforcement long enough, you're going to get damaged. You'll be damaged goods. We all are. Uh, and it's unavoidable. It's, it's what we do with our lives afterwards, I think, that makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right to say that we're all damaged. We all get damaged just share one more story about uh, one of the incidents I was involved in and I'll just try to get it out quick. There was a a crash in an incorporated area. It was a township. They had their own police department, but we went to help in the rain, in the dark Two two teenagers uh, lost control in the rain and smashed into a massive tree. One of them was deceased when we arrived and the other one was uh, pinned in the car. And you know the fire department comes and they use their equipment and they try to unsquish the car, uncrush the car to get this person out. Well, they couldn't. So the senior medic on the scene calls the ER doc, explains the situation, and the ER doc says the leg that's Don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah. How do you describe that? How do you talk about that without it? Seriously, um, talk about tear your heart out. Oh yeah, the medic had to had to make that call. I mean, he had to. He I saw him with a scalpel in his hand. 
he had to do okay. an amputation on scene with with the the patient, for lack of better words, in the yep. car. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and there were there had to be dozens of you know between fire department members, officers, medics. There had to be a hundred years of first responder experience, if not closer to two hundred. And nobody on that scene had ever seen anything like it. So here this this kid, he's a passenger in the car. So fire department tore the passenger door off or back. And the medic's got to do this through the passenger door. But the, the kid is in and out of consciousness. He's in shock. He's flailing around. So his right arm is going to get in the way. And I'm like... You know, you know what it's like. You see a job that needs to get done. This is this is what law enforcement is trained in. And if I didn't do this, I'm confident somebody would have. Law enforcement, fire, medic, somebody. But I saw this kid's hand swinging around down by where the, the medic had to do this amputation. So I lay on the ground in the rain, grabbed this kid's hand, hoping somehow that that he can sense some level of comfort knowing that he probably isn't but the main reason was to keep his hand out of the way of the medic as he cut this guy's leg off um it was an unbelievable scene um they got him out of the car they transported him to the ambulance and ultimately or i'm sorry to the hospital and ultimately he died there but these are the kind of things that law enforcement do um you know, daily it doesn't make headlines. It, no, we do this stuff daily. Um, I can't. I can't tell you. And I, I know you're gonna. You're gonna understand exactly what I'm saying. I can't tell you how many times that I had other people's blood saturating my clothing. Yep, my uniforms, and we used to carry Lysol aerosol cans in a patrol bag mm. because there was just so many. And this is before we had as much knowledge about bodily fluids and all this stuff. And we didn't have the equipment anyway. Mm-hmm. You would literally spray yourself as if it was like a, a deodorant or hairspray just with Lysol. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that was not so much the physical part as it was psychological, trying to find a way to shed some of what you've been through off of you. Right. I, I would go through this where it was a mental undressing, taking my soft body armor off. It's like trying to change my mindset to, all right, you went through all this horrible stuff and now you're going to be regular Jay. Now you're going to hang out with your wife and uh, maybe have a can of beer and put some burgers on the grill uh, and listen to music and, and enjoy time with the kids and, and not zone out and not become like a zombie. Right. Yeah. How, I didn't do very well at that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. How could, I mean, how can you experience a scene like that and go home and be you know, normal husband, normal dad, you know, not in shock yourself, not experiencing trauma yourself. Going back to that first scene, the crash scene I told you about with the little girl, the very next day I I met a detective lieutenant at the post before I hit the road, and he told me, you know what, you'll be all right, and if that same call comes out today, you'll go to it and you'll be fine. And it was like he hit me right in the gut. I knew it was true. I was still recovering from the trauma myself, and I knew he was right. I knew that if the call came out again, I would go again. I'd go do what I had to do, what I was supposed to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And deal with the consequences later. And we all do. Right, right. Yep. You said that you guys had some critical incidents, trustee briefing after these uh, incidents. Uh, We didn't have that before. Very briefly, what did that, what was that composed of? Sure. I had it, I had, uh, I was a part of two, if I recall correctly, in my career. Uh, Both involved uh, fatal accidents, bad fatal crashes. And it involves a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And everybody who's present on the scene who wants to participate. Some people are ordered. I was ordered on a couple occasions, those two occasions, because I played a primary role to go. Um, on the one instance, there were dispatchers there. There were some fire department members there. I think there were some paramedics and some other troopers who showed up on the scene. And uh, and they try to, it's kind of like talk therapy. They try to, you know, where were you at? What happened with you? What was going through your head? And they take the time to go through with everybody. And it's kind of an emotional thing. You know, people start crying and some people are numb. But it, I guess it's an effort to try somehow to deal with that trauma. If you had a chance to tell people, and you do right now, listening, that that read the headlines in the news and everything else on television news or print, anti-police that or this or that, this is your opportunity very quickly to tell people what they don't know about what we have to go through and what we do. Man, that's a subject for another book. Literally, matter of fact, I was thinking honestly, Today and I had talked to a buddy just recently about this very thing. Uh, law enforcement isn't very good at saying to the public, "Hey, look at all these courageous things our officers did today. Look at, you know, look at this response to a fatal crash where a trooper had to tell mom a little girl was gone. Consi- just consider, you know, not not as a bragging thing, but just take a moment." And consider what law enforcement goes through. And there are stories like this, you know this, all across this country. There are stories of courage and bravery, things things that happen where it's definitely newsworthy, but nobody ever hears about it. They never hear about it, and instead it seems like all all the law enforcement media attention right now is negative you know, whenever somebody is shot. And it doesn't matter if the officer was completely, it was a complete legit shooting. He was, you know, being shot at. It doesn't matter. No. It's, and it, it's, it's about it's about getting eyeballs on a story. And they use that, uh, they use dramatics and uh, manipulation of facts and wording to get people to pay attention. Uh, before we run out of time, let's give people the name of your book and where they can get more information about buying it. Sure. Uh, the name of the book is Call Me Trooper, and uh, it's available on Amazon in paperback and in an ebook. The book tells, um, I don't want to give the idea that it's only horror stories. It's not. There's a tremendous amount of, of funny stories, as I'm sure you can. Uh, oh, yeah. You can relate to. I have a funny feeling we're going to have to have you back on our show again in the future to talk more about this. C.K. Roberts, thanks so much for being on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, 
This is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya. See ya.